Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 47 with our guest, Morgan Lopes. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, guys. Thank you for joining us and tuning in. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Coloring outside the lines of entrepreneurship, and really, who doesn't like all that? Outside the lines of entrepreneurship, technology, and social impact, our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of Polar Notion, which is a creative agency that builds web and mobile experiences. Pretty cool. He also serves as CTO of New Story, a fast-growing startup positioned to end the global housing crisis. Wow. With a recent claim to fame of launching the first 3D home printer in the U.S. Can you imagine that? I can't wait to dig into that. In all things, he enjoys producing extraordinary results alongside unlikely people. Let me say that again. He enjoys producing extraordinary results alongside unlikely people. Pretty fascinating. Reversing traditional beliefs. He believes capitalism should serve humanity. Above his business pursuits, he's a father of two daughters and committed to finding harmony in work, life, and purpose-filled work. Let's meet this man. I cannot wait to dive all into this right there. Welcome to the show. It's Morgan Lopes. How's it going, Morgan? It's going great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So clearly we have, um, I'm intrigued by a lot of this. Uh, we have a lot to unravel here. You on paper and uh, perhaps in person, you seem to identify and epitomize the, um, the definition of what I would say an entrepreneur is. Do you feel that way? Uh, that, that feels like a, a, a tall order to try and come through on. Um, I think, uh, for a lot of my life, I identified with the traits of an entrepreneur that didn't really have uh, the words to put to it. And I think uh, finding myself today and the opportunity to invest in things that are, I'm passionate about uh, is really something that I'm excited for. And, you know, in hindsight, sure, I think there is, it touches on those nuances. And I've really just taken that as something, um, yeah, to be proud of and not something to apologize for. Oh, absolutely. Um, what does this mean? I, I love this phrase. Uh, you enjoy producing extraordinary results 
alongside unlikely people. I have felt like an unlikely people for much of my life, but how do you define what that all means? I think in much the same way. Uh, that's something that I identified with personally. When I look back over my life, um, feeling like a little like the odd man out, and there were certain people who invested in me and maybe saw something that I did not see at the time uh, that I had a tremendous amount of gratitude and respect for. But then also, I think for us organizationally, it started with uh, hiring people out of code school who most people would not hire because they don't have experience. And we bring them on, give them a chance, train them up uh, into extraordinary craftsmen uh, in the software space. We've done it with designers. And then a great example on the news story side, which I imagine we'll touch on a little bit. Um, this is an organization that is pretty young, but doing incredible things around innovation technology for global housing. And most of the team is under 30. So the founders when they started were, I uh, believe, 23 and 24. And the team remains a, a pretty young group tackling some of these very big global issues. So uh, achieving you know, large results, but really with people that you wouldn't necessarily expect uh to be doing it so why is that why is that the case that that some of these coders for specific example are getting overlooked uh, so one thing that i found uh, in managing a sustainable business is things like cash flow predictability uh with results are is is, a, is an important thing and so if you find somebody who's not very experienced they often have a hard time estimating things, right? Or the quality is not quite there. And so most businesses go with the safe bet of saying, I want somebody with a proven track record, proven experience. Um, and for us, we're saying, hey, that's great. But if everyone looks for people who have experience, where do the people who have none get theirs? Mm. And uh, we've tried to build a, a training curriculum and really invest in them so that they can cut their teeth on real things and then you know, have a foot in the door to where the market would actually validate the fact that yes, they are in fact welcome here. Um, we're saying, hey, come on in. But most people, it's just risky, right? We usually expect about three months of working with them before we actually even break even. So we're investing that money and businesses would say, well, why do I have to pay somebody else to learn, right? Hmm. Um, and we're saying, well, if you want awesome people, then that's a really great way of getting them without having to pay top dollar for somebody with 10 years of experience. And is that, the, is that the skill that you see going in? You acknowledge, okay, no real experience or proven track record here, but what is it that's allowing you to say, hey, come with us? Is it their persona, their, their qualities, their integrity? What is it? Yeah, code schools do a great job of, of selecting these people who have a drive. Usually they're people who are changing their career um, and actually want to learn a lot in a very small amount of time. So that's a unique person. And we've realized the code schools do a lot of that vetting for us of distilling that, um, uh, culling the herd, right, to get those people. And so then we come in and say, awesome, uh, we have about six or seven behaviors that we're looking for among that group that really like bubble them up to the surface. So I know that somebody who uh, shows up early, asks lots of questions, engages in side projects, there's all of these soft things, right? These behaviors that when people do this, whether or not they have you know, made a million dollars or been hired by some crazy company, um, they have the makings of something great. And so if we can guide them and instruct them along the way, uh, those are things that we've found a lot of success with uh, in getting them to be really proficient really quickly. Uh, if I had to say there are two things that humans are best at, it's collaboration and adaptability. And so we are looking for people who are highly adaptable. And then we can uh, challenge them, train them, 
and they can accelerate pretty quickly into proficiency. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a type, a type of person. Um, and we've, uh, over the years gotten a lot better at, at finding them and uh, equipping them. Without realizing it in those words, I seem to be attracted to a, to a similar type of person, especially like you said, the C word collaboration. I love that word. I come from the acting and film world and it is all about collaboration. Nothing can, can be created in an isolated or in, in, in a one person show quite literally. And business is absolutely no different. You know that. So I love uh, bringing on creative people who have something to give, something to contribute. What exactly does it mean coloring outside the line? Yeah, I think uh, oftentimes in life we're presented with uh, rules and expectations that whether they are unspoken or spoken norms uh, of, a, of a culture and uh, oftentimes those become walls, right? And we think that we have to behave a certain way simply because that's the way that we were uh, taught to believe. Uh, but the reality is, uh, I think as our lives uh, unfold, that these these walls were created by people who know little less than we did, right? They're just guessing at what they think is a good path forward. And so I think in adolescence, we think we'll push back a little bit, but by and large, we wind up kind of like fitting into the mold of what society says um, that was crafted by, it's a narrative crafted by someone, usually who has something to gain. And so our understanding today of uh, compliance and following rules and all of these different pieces in the workplace came from industrialization. We need you to show up, do this job, over and over again. The idea of retirement, you're putting this carrot at the end of a long journey of just doing what you're told that one day you might get to earn, right? Um, those are all symptoms of a, of a system that it doesn't work like that anymore, right? And humans have lost trust in that. And I think for me personally, um, it's these lines that have been created and as children even, right? We are taught to like, no, here's how you color inside the lines. This is what a beautiful picture looks like. And having two daughters, I find myself pushing up against this, right? I want, you know, we sit in our chair when we eat dinner and we chew with our mouth closed, like lines. Some of them are helpful, but then some of them ultimately become this box that we live in. Uh, and I think really for me personally, wanting to help others imagine a world where maybe the most beautiful picture is outside of those lines, uh, both for us uh, professionally, but then when it comes back to personal, the lives that we live, um, being having the freedom to do that. And so as uh, there's this quote that I love that says, uh, as we live free, we give permission uh, for others to do the same. That's kind of a simplified version. Um, and so for me personally, it's like, awesome. Let me color outside the lines. And then maybe some, someone else will watch that and think, whoa, I have permission to do that too. Is that, that's a safe thing to do. Uh, so. I, I love that. I adore that. How old are your two daughters? Uh, I have one who is a little over two and then one who is six months. Oh my goodness. So you are, you're, you're even newer than I am. And I thought I was pretty new. I have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son and it's okay. still, it all still feels brand new to me. Good, good for you. Are, are you loving every single moment of it? It's awesome. Uh, I think there are definitely times that are hard. Uh, I've over the years, uh, uh, adopted kind of a, an interest in doing hard things and kind of paralleling that with opportunities. And so uh, something that we've done and I look forward to every single day is uh, having dinner time with them, bath time, uh, story time and bedtime and just this routine. Yes. Uh, there's something I, I read recently about the importance of reading to kids even before they can read themselves because they start to associate reading with happiness. And so those are the things that like, I love and you know, nothing beats 
at the end of the day, you know, uh, laying on my daughter's bed and her kind of like cozying up into my arms and uh, just, yeah, reading any story that she'll bring to me. So true. Um, I, I love these kinds of conversations because I, I, as often as I can, um, bring my, my two adoring children into the conversation because they are just, they've, they've not only have become my everything, they've, they've literally changed me to allow me to be the better person. Yes, it sounds cliche, but for a reason, and I'm stepping up. And I wasn't always the, the most uh, uh, um, award-winning father, so to speak. And I realized that. I'm like, my goodness, I can't continue to be this way while they have no choice but to watch and look at me to determine how they should be, what their expectations are, how they should be treated, how they should treat others, etc. And um, knowing that and then changing and adjusting all the parts of myself has just been, uh, been the win that I'm still on every day. And I love that you, um, you, you brought coloring outside the lines into that realm because me and my wife sort of um, struggle uh, independently with that. I'm the same way. You know, I bring this color outside the lines mindset to it. I'm like, ah, let her do it. It's fine. She'll experience it. It's not the end of the world. And Absolutely. she's like, no, it's rigid. It has to be this way. I'm like, it doesn't have to be this way. Let her go. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually, a great moment that came up uh, very recently, we put a baby monitor security camera in the, in the room so we could check and see if they're sleeping and all this stuff. And uh, I get a text one morning and my wife said, hey, check the security camera. So I pull up the app on my phone and I look and our youngest, this is when she was like crawling out of the crib and she's straddling the crib, right? And so I'm watching this, I'm like, holy cow. She's like getting out of the, you know, doing it. And then I watch my wife run in and snatch her off the crib. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And she was like, she could fall. And we've had lots of these conversations, right? So I just, I text her back and I, and I was like, we need, I think we need to talk about this because we're going to disagree here. And when I asked her, I said, hey, what's the worst that could happen? She's like, well, she could fall and break her arm. I was like, that actually isn't even the worst. Like, what are the odds that she would fall out of a crib that's not too far off the floor and break her arm? The same odds that you would roll out of bed at in your you know, 20s, 30s and break your arm. Like it's very unlikely. Uh, I was like, however, she is learning where the line is. And if she goes for it and falls, yeah, it'll probably hurt, but she's not gonna die. And then she knows, oh, I'm capable. Like it hurt, but I didn't die. And I think that's a great line for people to learn. So we talked this through and um, you know, sometimes we, we've, we wind up resolving on my side of things. And then sometimes I concede to say like, hey, look, we'll worry about this later. We'll cross this bridge at a different time. Um, but we've had lots of those moments. Uh, and one of the, the thoughts that both of us have really agreed on early on is that we are not raising children. We are raising adults. And the way that you treat an adult when they are learning, right, mm-hmm. you're leveling up to that. And I think if all we focus on is raising children, then that's all they will ever be. They will think like children. They will act like children, uh, very short-term minded. Whereas if we are raising adults that are small, right, you think about that thing different. Um, and so that, that's a mindset that we come back to is like, Hey, is this something that we would want an adult to know? Or is, you know, um, and so that's, it kind of gets you out of this mindset of trying to protect your kids and into the mindset of they're going to live most of their life as an adult and we need to prepare them for that. So. 
Right. And um, ideally, most of their life making their own decisions. And if we direct them so rigidly now, I, 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 I'm on your side. I agree with that. That's the, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the side that uh, I'm in in my household. And uh, uh, my five-year-old is now in kindergarten, in school. And I was watching the way that uh, my wife allows her to do her homework, which is more of a rigid mindset. And I'm like, okay, so, so she'll cross it out or erase it or do it again, or it's not the big deal. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I'm finding more, I think we just need a support group for entrepreneur, entrepreneurship minded people or, uh, you know, I think cause every relationship has that, right? We think that that's a problem in marriage. Um, but I think, and for me personally, it's a tension that's, uh, that's best managed and, uh, cause it's not bad. And we have the same thing that I tend to be very long-term minded. My wife tends to be more like immediate short term. Um, and at the end of the day, we need toilet paper, right? So we can't save every spare dollar because, you got some, you gotta get the fundamentals today. Uh, so it's a, it's a healthy tension, I think, to walk. And instead of thinking like, oh my gosh, I've got to get her to think like me. Um, we try and walk in that tension and realize, hey, sometimes you just gotta do, you gotta get your tags renewed for your car. That's a rule that you just, don't color outside that line or it's gonna cost you a ton of cash, you know? So these are all these, uh, these tensions that we constantly manage, uh, so. Yeah. It's also like picking and choosing your battles, as I've seen. It's like whether it's with my wife or my children, if they're doing something or requesting something, I'm like, oh, is this a battle I want to fight? Is it? And then I have to go through that checklist. Like, is it important? Does it matter? Will I win? Is it going to be a good lesson? All that stuff. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Let me go back to, to the very beginning because um, I want to see how you got to this place uh, in your life. Um, bring us back to your life as a young child. What was life like growing up for you? Yeah, I would say I grew up uh, probably like most people, right? There wasn't anything that was, uh, that stood out too much. or uh, And that, that's something that uh, I kind of just thought, right? Like life is normal. People feel this way. I think I've always felt this pressure to, to fit in, of course, like most people within kind of this underlying f feeling of like, yeah, but that's just not me, right? I don't, um, whether it's thinking differently or trying things different, or again, kind of back to this idea of like coloring outside the lines. I was a good colorer though. Uh, but one of the things I, I wake up pretty early today. And so people have asked me, uh, have you always done that? And really for most of my teenage years and college years, I didn't necessarily do that. Um, but then I thought back and I remember, and my mom tells this story really well, but, um, I used to have an, a bedtime that was strictly enforced. My parents were very consistent. And so we would go to bed at nine o'clock every night. Uh, no questions asked. There was no budging. And, uh, but I loved to play with my action figures. And this was something probably more than most kids. Even I, I would always have them in my hands in car trips. And um, there were plenty of times they'd walk in on me in the bedroom and the whole place was, you know, a battle zone with, with all these things. And um, so winding down at nine was really hard, but uh, my parents never said anything about how early we could wake up. And so I started setting my alarm to wake up early so that I could play. So it would go off 5 a.m. And I remember going to the bathroom and the house was pitch black. No one was up, um, but I would go and I'd get my action figures and we'd start playing for a couple hours before school. Uh, and so I think this kind of began this realization that there are certain rules that um, your life is better if you don't try and fight them. But there are unspoken ones or thing, assumptions that you may have that if you start to unpack some of those, there may be a path to get what you want uh, without having to do it the same way as everyone else. So while my brother was fighting to stay up past bedtime, 
uh, I would just go to bed because it made it early to get up or it made it easier to get up early if I went to bed earlier. Um, and then I just got what I want. There was no fighting with parents about this. And, you know, fast forward years later, uh, same kind of idea is uh, accomplishing a lot of what I want. Just saying, hey, what are the rules here? What are the ones that we don't want to break, right? Because rules aren't all bad. Um, and saying, how can we accomplish these things, you know, uh, outside the box? And so I think those are some thoughts and ideas that early on I was just doing this and kind of felt this constant warring against um, conventional path, the conventional path, uh, even into high school. So I was, I was the guy who looked like a football player who ran cross country. That was the whole tension and eventually said, yeah, but what would it look like, right? If I could excel at this. Uh, and then ultimately even starting a business, um, I left, actually left college, had a semester left as an education major and a whole nother rabbit trail there, but, um, I, high school dropout business owner, right? No MBA. Um, we've learned a lot the hard way. Um, but again, unconventional path. And I look back today and most of the people I went to school with are now teachers, right? They work the deal, they get the summer, all the stuff. And my life looks drastically different. Um, but you know, just again, not settling for, Oh, this is the thing we're supposed to do, but kind of pushing back. Did I hear you say you dropped out of high school? Uh, sorry, let me correct college, not high school, college, college. Okay, you dropped out of college. Before we get to that, I love that even in your, your young childhood, you were already exhibiting uh, entrepreneurship qualities, um, finding a problem, finding the solution. That's all it is and all it's about, right? I, I, I love that. You, you, you had to go to sleep at a certain time, non-negotiable, but you found the solution. How could I still play longer with my action figures. Oh, there's the solution. Creatively, I'll get up early. Nobody cared. Nobody minded. What time do you get up today? Uh, today I get up at 4 a.m. six days a week. Let me hear that again. You get up at 4 a.m. six days a week. What time do you get up on that seventh day? Is it like a God-rested thing? Yeah. So usually, um, let me be clear. I, I want to start with what time I go to bed, which is about nine, nine thirty. So it is not a, I'm not watching Netflix till 11 or, or one. Um, but yeah, on, on Sundays I usually just sleep in until uh, our daughters wake us up. So, which is what, like seven. Yeah. Seven. If we're lucky, uh, it'll be like seven thirty. Yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, that's, um, I found that it kind of optimized if I sleep too much longer. So if I go to bed at nine, wake up at four, that's a couple, that's a solid chunk. Um, if I sleep much longer, I start getting more tired. I'm like, exactly. Diminishing returns. Let me optimize for that. And so it, it's so true. Cause the more, you know, what your body needs for sleep, everybody's body is differently. Um, I used to get up at seven. Then I started reading and understanding that, Oh, um, people like to get up early and there's something to be said about it. So then I started getting up at six 30 and then I started inching that back because look, if you could just, uh, every week or every month, set it back and just get up 10 minutes early. Guess what? Your body might not realize it. Now I get up at six, which I love. I think that's pretty good for me. My body can handle it. And, and let me tell you by nine, nine 30, I'm exhausted. Oh, yeah. I'm like in bed. I'm always saying to my wife, I, 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 I got to get to bed. And she's like, what? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just settling down here. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. So 9, 9.30. But I do know that even, even 5 a.m. is a thing. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole group of people that, you know, promote get up at 5 a.m. And I'm like, I'll, I'll work to that. Six right now really works for me because I have at least an hour or an hour and a half of, 
of just my house, my morning, which is part of the goal, right? You need yeah. that. You should have that time to do you and be yourself and just ease into the day, accomplish all that stuff. So I, I'm, I have my eye on the 5 a.m. In the, in, in the future somehow. How in the world did you get to 4 a.m.? Is it just like jumping in a cold shower? Did you just do it or did you work to that? Yeah, it was a change over time for sure. Um, it started in the early days with, you know, uh, sometimes I, I would serve at this uh, local, like, local shelter downtown. And on Tuesdays, I would wake up at five because I had to go. We had to drive to get there, all this stuff. And I started thinking, well, it's kind of hard to wake up at five if you, use, you know, usually wake up at some other later time. It's like, what if I just started getting up every day, the earliest I would ever get up? And so then maybe it wouldn't feel crazy and I would be ready to go. And so I started that. And my wife and I, when we got married, we said we would go to bed at the same time. There are natural benefits to going to bed at the same time as your wife. Um, but also just this act of like, hey, we're going to like sync up and we're going to, you know, end the day, kind of round it down together. Uh, but I sleep like a rock and she does not. And so if we got, went to bed at the same time and got up at the same time, I was, I was getting groggy and I'm like, I just slept for 10 hours. Like yeah. I'm not tired. And so I said, okay, well again, what are the rules? Rules are we go to bed at the same time. Okay, cool. But I could get up a little bit earlier. And I found out that we also wake up early. Like I wake up, feet hit the floor, good to go. She needs a moment. Cool. So I could just get up earlier. And so I started doing that. Um, and I wound up backing it up to, I was spent a, a couple of years at 5 a.m. Um, but then when we had kids, one thing that I would feel this pressure on, and this is where a new story comes in a little bit, I'm now committing these morning hours to another business. And I found myself getting anxious when my daughter would wake up early because she's cutting into this time that I carved out. And I thought to myself, why I was getting anxious and then a little resentment of like, oh gosh, I gotta go get her. And you know, could my wife get her? And all these things that um, aren't necessarily positive to think about your family, right? And I was like, okay, what can I can control here? Uh, she does it, you know, maybe once a week, once every two weeks. Well, if I got up a little bit earlier every day, then when this happens, I just go get it. I take care of her because I have planned my life around these unknowns, leaving pockets of time. Um, and so I started getting up even earlier, um, just realizing like today, if my daughter gets sick and just needs me to hold her for two hours in the morning while she cries, I can be available for that because every day, I've got this time set aside. And so um, I'm all about like small incremental changes over time compounding. And that's an area where um, part of the last jump to 4 a.m. was really a response to wanting to be there as a father, but also perform as an entrepreneur. So let's talk about new story. This is your one of your businesses. You're the CTO of new story. So obviously you have you have a technology background, which I guess you can help fill in those, those gaps. And to remind uh, the listener what's happening here, this is the, your startup that is positioned to end the global housing crisis. I want to hear all about that. And then it's also, it's the claim to fame of launching the first 3D home printer. What says you, sir? Yeah, so I'm not actually the founder of New Story. I was brought on, uh, I believe, as hire number five or six, um, their first technical team member. So at that time, they had gone through Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator out in San Francisco, one of the you know, best in the world, if you will. And the goal at the time was 
uh, to build 100,000 homes in the developing world in the next 10 years, which is a lofty goal, right? That's really quick. There's a lot of ramp up. Um, but really, New Story came about as a way of um, providing a more transparent alternative to financial or uh, international aid and a unique experience that focuses on the donor and connects the donor all the way through to the impact of their contribution, right? So two unique things. Most charities are not necessarily open to show you where all the money goes. And the experience is usually like, give me your money and we'll take it from here. And so we wanted to, to change that. So they were working on a lot of these things, had proven the concept. Uh, at the time, I think had funded about 130 homes and really needed somebody from a technology side to come in and maximize the impact that, that was going on um, with all of this home funding. And so did that, started dialing in a lot of the systems and processes, something that I've done professionally for a number of years. I would summarize it as helping businesses get better before bigger, a lot of efficiency uh, with technology. And so started doing that. Um, and what we were finding was with a very small team, we could execute on a lot of capital. Uh, still delivering on that core promise of transparency, mapping it all the way through where every dollar goes, um, but that efficiency was something that was missing in most nonprofits, but specifically for us in other housing organizations. And so a shift that is happening now is taking all of these internal innovations that we've built. So we've got tools that we use to track construction on the field of these homes. We actually collect the data. And so we're mapped, like I can tell you today that between 15 and 20% of people who get a home become entrepreneurs right? Once this basic need is met, so we're tracking all this data, right? How does a home actually change people's life? We're trying to quantify life change. And so we have a tool that tracks that, um, also collecting money from people and mapping it all the way through. So whether you give $5 or $5 million, uh, we're open to both, by the way, um, we can track those funds and then ultimately connect people to families. They can see those families and then see the impact and improvement of their life over time. And so we're making that platform available to other organizations that say, yes, we care about ending homelessness because for us, and we set our sights a little bit bigger and said, um, 100,000 homes is great, but that doesn't move the needle. There are 1 billion people living in what we would call survival mode. And if that number is going to really change, it is not going to be one person doing it. It is going to be everyone getting incrementally better, right? If every year, every housing organization got five to 10% better, the way the math works is that in the next 20 to 30 years, we could actually solve this problem. The money is already there. Governments, NGOs, they're spending the money, um, but it's the efficiency that's lacking. And so we want to bring that into the space. Uh, so the 3D printer is a manifestation of that, right? If you have the money, your biggest bottleneck now becomes time, executing fast enough on those funds. And so the goal with this printer is to take home construction from weeks down to hours. And then you could sell a fleet of printers to a government and they could get to work, right? So a lot of, lot of info there for sure, but um, you know, kind of distilling it down from the, the evolution that, that has happened within News Story in the last uh, three years. If, if somebody, let's say, is just dropped here on earth, how, how do you personally explain to, to them what the housing crisis currently is? What do we need to know really about it? What's happening? So uh, in the States, if they were dropped in the States, um, they're isolated. Even the worst housing issues in the States hardly compare to the resources available to people in the developing world. 
And it's because if I look in Atlanta, Atlanta has shelters and people who are literally handing out food, uh, transportation. There's a lot of things that make, um, make it more bearable. But there's a systemic issue in the developing world that generations are being born into this, right? And we could sum it up in terms of poverty, but it's so much more than that. Uh, and so there's a safety and a security that comes back to housing. Uh, and so we face it every single day. Um, your kids are less likely to go to school if they don't sleep through the night. They're less likely to sleep through the night if uh, storms and uh, it's not in a safe house and all these issues, they start to compound on one another. And uh, so, yeah, if you were orienting yourself to the housing issue, um, what, it's somewhere between one and eight people does, do not have adequate shelter. And if you can't meet life's basic needs, then things like, uh, things of the aspirational nature, right, of uh, starting a business or even, uh, you know, sustaining your family into the future become at risk. And your mind isn't going to focus on those things. You're focused on right in front of you. So there's a natural connection between uh, the developed world or the third world, as some people would call it, and short-term thinking, right? Whereas in the developed world, we think longer term, right? We're making longer term investments. And we talk of all of these things. That is a luxury that most of the world does not have. And so we are looking to shift that, provide that baseline uh, need of shelter, and then tracking how that changes everything else for people. Before we went on the air, you made the comment, you're crazy until you're not, which I love. Tell me how that's shown up in your world. Uh, yeah, so as a kid, right? What kid wakes up at 5 a.m.? The weird one, right? Because kids are like, oh, man, I slept till noon. Oh, man, like the stuff that kids talk about. Um, same thing in, you know, I think high school athletics for me, right? Of, I could have probably been a good football player. You know, I'm shorter, stockier, kind of a linebacker kind of build. Um, that's natural. I could have just done that. Uh, but instead, the kind of the bigger challenge and really what people would push back on is like, People like you don't do things like this. My, I don't, something about my wiring is like, I will show you what is possible. Uh, and so becoming the captain of the cross country team, um, you know, fast forwarding a little bit later, most businesses fail. So you would assume that people who stand the best chance of success are MBA Harvard grads who've got all the stuff. That's not necessarily true. Right. And so for me personally, I'm like, okay, well, what does that, what does that say for me dropping out of college? I had an education degree. So it's not like I was doubling down on business when I was in school um, and leaving to go start a business. Um, and so I think of, you know, in much the same way, when you look back and I'm by no means comparing myself to the greatest inventors of all time, because not there. Um, but so much of history tells stories of people who we call geniuses today. And they sit in the history books as, innovators and all of these things. Um, but in their moment, when they were becoming that, everyone was betting against them, right? It's very rare that you would have somebody who the whole time, even when they're doing all of these really weird off the cuff things, I think of the Wright brothers in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, uh, crashing planes in the desert, right? Uh, you could make something that is lighter than air that weighs that much. Like that doesn't make any sense. Nobody got it, right? Um, until they did. And all of a sudden history remembers them as a genius, but in the moment doing like putting in the, the work, uh, it was crazy. It was unlikely. And so I think we see this trend over and over again. And so for me personally, um, I've come to realize that I'm, if I'm doing things that actually matter, I should not have the acceptance of everyone 
Because by definition, that's average, right? If everyone agrees that this is smart and that this is the right path and that this is, you know, uh, a mortgage on a home, a college degree, this is the right thing to do. Everyone does this. By definition, that's average. And so I think oftentimes when we're coloring outside of the lines and people don't agree with us, that's not necessarily an indicator that we're doing the wrong thing because there's this proven track record of people being crazy until all of a sudden everyone looks at them and says, that guy was so smart. He had it all figured out. Amazing. Here's all the stuff, accolades, whatever. But it's in, they weren't there the whole time. They showed up once, you know, something changed. So uh, yeah, that idea, uh, I think we see it a lot. And this has even become kind of a mantra at New Story. Uh, the fact that some millennials could start a nonprofit knowing, having no nonprofit experience and try and end the global housing crisis. And you would think, well, what the heck? That's crazy. It is. Uh, until you look at, in the last year alone, we have uh, launched a 3D home printer using concrete to print houses, right? Uh, and then are launching a software platform that takes all of these things that have already been working for us and making it available to others in 12 months, right? These are things that were not decades in the making and they were not backed by large Fortune 500 companies. They are a bunch of people coming together, willing to dream big enough and be the ones who at the time are like, that's crazy, that's crazy, that'll never work, that'll never work until all of a sudden it does. Um, so mm. it's, uh, it's evolving for sure, um, but there's definitely a, a pattern that, um, that I felt for myself. And then now as we get to work with other entrepreneurs, seeing that trend unfold in their lives as well. What fires you up? Hmm. Yeah, the, the way that I would have said it a year ago is really that line around taking um, unconventional people and achieving, you know, extraordinary results. Um, if I had to think more of like, uh, the simplified version is taking uh, unlikely inputs to get unbelievable outputs, right? But people are more than just inputs and outputs. Um, but I think the, the why behind that, that is like a, a, a tactic, right? We're going to get uh, unique people, and then we're going to produce unbelievable things. Uh, but really, the, the deeper why for me ultimately is because I think more is possible than we realize. And if we aren't willing to think differently about things, then we're missing out on some of the greatest things that life has to offer. And so for me, now being in a position of leadership in two organizations and um, having you know, opportunities to touch a lot of other things and entrepreneurs and um, have influence in other areas, uh, it's really because I think the world is a more... Uh, we can impact the world more than we think we can if we would just be open to what's possible. And so uh, if I had to, uh, any new venture, and this is something that um, as I've been trying to like refine it to create more clarity, um, it, it eventually reaching a point of like choosing between a lot of really good stuff, right? Nothing today that I'm involved in do I feel like is destroying the earth, right? It's like really good things. Um, but oftentimes those good things come at the cost of great things. And I'm trying to have more of a, a purpose statement that, that gets there. And the, the theme that I keep rolling around is uh, imagining a world that is outside of our imagination, like being able to dream big enough and really invest in those things. Um, so yeah, if I had to sum it up to a purpose and I'm still trying to, to land the plane there, but the, the purpose really being around, um, welcoming others into a world that doesn't yet exist. I, lo I love that landing. Beautiful okay. landing. 
<laughs> Let me write that down because yeah. that's the first time it's been articulated quite like that. So, good thing this is recorded, just like the Wright brothers. You did it. You're a genius. <laughs> nice, perfect. Yeah. Looking back on your younger self, what advice would you tell that person? Don't wait for permission. I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> got to keep it together here. Um, I think I spent a lot of my life uh, feeling like me being different was bad and just kind of floating in this, this tension of the thing that I want to do and the thing that people are asking me to do are not the same thing. And so that's my fault. Uh, and then I, I don't know. I'm, I by no means have a complaint about where I've landed uh, today, but I think that's something that uh, that was a tension I grew up with and that was not handed to me by my parents. That was something that was more of a, a social observation. And uh, so I spent, I think a lot of time warring against this feeling that, um, yeah, you, that something is wrong with you. And, uh, I think if I could talk to the younger version of myself, it would be like, hey, look, the years ahead are gonna be freaking hard. And most people aren't gonna agree with you. And plenty of people are going to think uh, that you're, you're weird or they're just going to like placate you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, right? He's like social, whatever. Um, but just you keep pursuing that. Uh, at New Story, we have this value that's called a humble pursuit of excellence. And I think that sums it up because it's not a humble pursuit of acceptance. And that the difference of those two things, uh, there's overlap, but they are also fundamentally different. And I think that's something, uh, had I embodied that earlier, I would have been a little less afraid to, uh, to, to just go for it. And eventually, I think I, I aged up to the point that I'm like, wait a minute, you made the rules for this? Like, you know, I kind of connected some dots um, that I think had I just, you know, been a little more willing to, to run with that sooner. Um, I don't know, maybe... There's no telling uh, the difference, but trying to, trying to catch back up to where I could have been all along, I think is a phrase that a friend said that I really resonated with. Mm. Say that again? Uh, this is his purpose statement, so don't want uh, to trample on this, but um, to catch up to where I would have been all along. Wow. Yeah. He had some, some underlying beliefs that I think around his 30s, he mentioned that um, his mindset just shifted and he realized, had I believed this the whole time, I would have been so much farther ahead. And so as he looked at his life purpose, the goal is like, hey, I want to catch back up to where I would have been had I believed this the whole time. I was like, oh, it's beautiful. It just captures this. Is, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I almost think that that's a definition for life. I think it's a rare person who can say, no, nah, pretty much every step of my way, I was in my zone. I was executing on my brilliance. I was at my, no, we're all like, you know, such a good Good purpose. Perhaps this is already out there through this dialogue, but what mantra do you live by today? If I had to pick one, I would say go boldly forward. That's something that a mentor actually said to me, and he would usually say it in a context where he'd given me enough information to like figure it out on my own. And he wouldn't tell me the answer ever, which was at times excruciating. 
Um, but he would, you know, kind of team me up and, you know, here's some stuff and now, you know, go boldly forward and figure it out. Uh, and I think in life we are mobilized uh, by thinking we have to know everything, but really we just need to know enough to take the right next step. And so go boldly forward. That's what it means to me. And that's something that now it's, it's one of our company values. Um, you know, it's on patches and t-shirts and, uh, I don't think we can uh, be reminded of that enough because, yeah, we're, we're not going to have it all. We can't be immobilized by not knowing. We just need to have the, the confidence and the willingness to take that the right next step. So, Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Mm, that's, there's so, that's such a loaded statement. Uh, I'm not sure, but what I know, there are two types of people. There are people who are, have a fixed mindset and there are people who have a growth mindset. The fixed mindset says, this has happened to me, right? And the growth mindset says, this is something that I'm a part of and what am I gonna do because of it? And so I think whether or not everything happens for a reason, I think ultimately we get to pick, is do I think this is something that has happened as an accelerant to my, the path that I'm on? Or is this something that is just, I'm meant to be this way forever, I cannot change it. And I think there's a mindset there that ultimately, um, we get to pick it is the choice is ours. Are we going to be people who just receive what the world has done to us? Or are we going to be people who say everything is an opportunity to grow and learn? Uh, and so it depends on who you are. Perfect. Perfect reply. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Uh, I am. Uh, so I'm a Christian. And uh, for me, that looks different than a lot of people see in the news with uh, bigotry and hatred. Uh, ultimately, the core tenets of Jesus are that of love, generosity, and grace. Uh, being willing to uh, care for people more than they have earned, uh, being willing to excuse people when they have wronged you, and ultimately uh, around this idea of love is uh, sacrificing um, for a deeper connection with people. And so that's something that I've resonated with. And I think ultimately, uh, those core teachings, when you strip away all the stuff that our culture teaches us or has, um, you know, hails from some political platform, uh, I think that's something that resonates deeper with anything else I've ever experienced and really transcends uh, a lot of the work that we do. And the things personally that I, uh, that pique my interest, uh, it's opportunities to live that out in a unique way. Uh, so, yes. What do you believe happens when it's all over? when our time here on earth comes to an end. Hey, you're, you're, uh, hold, hold my feet to the fire here with a lot of things. Uh, <sighs> if I had to over, if I had to simplify it down to something that I think, uh, may not get, get down too many rabbit trails. Um, I think there's a unification of, of all things. I think when you look even at the past, um, so often, uh, Christians and scientists debate it out, right. Of like, um, cause there's so much in science that's like, Oh, these are the rules, right? This is just how it happens. And these two things stand in opposition. And in my mind, they're actually not that different because I think, um, things can be created with rigid rules and also still unexplainable at times, right? Cause these are all things that we don't all know. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're asking what happens to our consciousness, that's probably a, a longer question. Um, but I th there's something about us as people in, in my mind and as most people's minds, right, that 
um, that craves stability and security and safety, yet at the same time, we're captivated by things that are completely outside of our control, right? The birth of a child. I cannot conceive of this, how this life now exists, and I care so much for it. And of course, there's chemical stuff going on in my brain, but also my contribution did not equal new life, right? Like it just wasn't that amazing and miraculous, um, but life still came of it. Um, or even how we sit on the edge of a cliff and we're just filled with wonder and awe and beauty. Well, our fundamental wiring should say we should be terrified because we don't know what lurks out there in the woods and over that cliff and it's dangerous and it reminds us of how small we are. Um, so that's curious to me that we are both uh, inspired by these things and also grappling with this tension. Uh, and so I think for me, like, there's an answer there that we don't know enough about today, why that is true, uh, why that I am, you know, uh, I cling to safety and security, yet at the same time, long for these feelings of complete inadequacy and what the heck, right? There's, that's a tension that exists in our minds that um, simply saying it all ends when we die and we just are all like, you know, cascading towards, uh, towards the dirt um, doesn't really answer that in a way that is satisfactory uh, to me at least. Uh, so yeah, I think the, while I'm here, the goal is to have as much of an impact as I can uh, in a positive way and hopefully have the chance to uh, interact with some people that uh, make it all worth, worth continuing to do. So. On that note, I will leave you with this final question. Oh, great. Yeah, at this point, it's like, you know, what do you, what do you got? Morgan Lopes, how would you like to be remembered? I think generous, loving, uh, and full of gratitude. is. Uh, those are the pieces that for me, if that can be said of me, I think that's a, I think that's a life worth living. I think the, that's a, that's a legacy that actually goes far beyond the, there are, there's so many people, but really like a dozen people that stick out in my mind of like, if they did not exist in my life, my life would not be the same. Right. And if, if I could be in that seat for other people, I think the, the ripple effects are, are unbelievable. So generous, wow. kind, uh, are generous, um, grateful and then loving. Wow. To make it into that top dozen. I like that, that concept there. Uh, if I had to simplify it for people, I had a friend recently and we were talking about, uh, connectivity and adding value to people. And, um, I was like kind of wrestling with this idea of like, ah, I, I want to be as close to Kevin Bacon as possible. Like if everyone is seven degrees separated, then I want to be like one degree separated from that guy. Like I want to be close to the guy who knows everybody. Um, and he kind of laughed and he was like, well, why wouldn't you want to be Kevin Bacon? Uh. The guy who is connected to everybody. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, but I think so much of like, what, what would it take to be that for somebody else to be the person that they would look back to? So yeah, that, that the top 12, um, that could have that kind of influence. Like what if, what could it look like for that to be the goal to live a life in service to others such that you are the catalyst in their story? Uh, for as many people as possible. You know, that statement alone is going to really sit with me because it's so vivid, so appropriate. Just how, how could, uh, yeah, I, I like it. Just um, if right now, you know, at, at any point in our lives where we're probably able to say, who are the, who are the top 
12 most impactful, whatever that word really is, people who, have, who, who you see who have made the difference to date in your life and to want to be in that grouping for as many people just makes sense. It's a good goal. Whether you achieve it or not is almost arbitrary, right? But just to, to live towards that. Yeah, I've got some, uh, I can share these with you uh, at a later date, or maybe this is another conversation. Um, but I think I've got some very like practical steps around that. Uh, but really what it ultimately stems from is the fact that we don't know, right? We don't know who, who we're going to rank for. Therefore, you just have to over and over again, lead with gratitude, lead with value for people, because it could be a thing that you say, it could be a season of time. Um, you just don't know. And it's incalculable. Even when businesses would say like, what's the ROI on this relationship and whatever. It's, it's not, that's not right. It's not a way of looking at it that actually maps to reality. The reality is um, it could be for a moment in time, one of the most impact, impactful people, the season that he transformed my life only took three months. Right. And to him, I was, but one of however many people he's done the exact same thing for but it changed things for me. And so I think we can't look at relationships like a transaction. We have to look at them like an opportunity to provide value, value, value. And then if we're lucky, we get to be within that top uh, group in other people's lives. Oh my goodness. And I love that you said, we, we may never know who, who's top 12 we're in uh, because, you know, uh, being, um, just, you know, even somebody who's in business, not in business, a person who just shares something online, you may, they may come across what you said, what you did online, seemingly arbitrary in your world or not, maybe deliberate. And then that becomes, that becomes the click. Mm. So true. Yeah. All right, let's sit on that for a while. We're going to leave it right there. My goodness, I couldn't have anticipated this dialogue. You, you went for it. Let me just tell you. I, uh, yeah, I try to be very mindful of uh, different people's beliefs and be respectful of the fact that, uh, yeah, unique perspectives. But I appreciate you pushing me there to, um, to articulate that. Pleasure. Pleasure to push, my friend. Pleasure to push. If people listening want to um, continue the dialogue, maybe reach out, say hello, what's the best way for you? Uh, you can reach me. My email is morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, at polar notion, polar like the bear, notion like the idea, dot com. Uh, that'll come straight to me. Uh, I'm also pretty active on Twitter uh, and my website where I share you know, thoughts and musings and um, practical leadership tips at morganjlopes.com. We will also link to that. Thank you so much. Mr. Entrepreneur is what I'm feeling right now. Hey, Josh, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in, spending your time. I hope you got a little something out of it. If you did, let us know and take one step in the right direction. Make amazing things happen. We'll have another show not too far behind. And until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.